Hey everyone, welcome to City Church OTR's Sermons Podcast. Here you will find all of the sermons and teachings that are given at our Sunday services. We also have our original City Church OTR podcast, which has more conversations, interviews, and more interactive content. As always, we would love to meet you. Check out our Instagram to see what we're doing this week and our website, citychurchotr.com, to meet one of our pastors. Enjoy. Good morning, friends, and welcome again to City Church OTR. My name is Tyler, and this is... My name is Chris. And we are so, 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 so glad that you are here uh, today being part of this community, both in person and then those of you who are joining us uh, online. If you heard already when Emery was opening our time of worship, he did mention that some of us might be hungry physically, and some of you might have wondered, what do they mean by that? Uh, and just as a, Mike, I see you patting your belly, uh, just as a little reminder uh, for some of you who have been part of this community, this journey we've been on for a while, we are coming off of a church-wide fast. It's been a 48-hour fast. Fasting, if you're not aware, is a spiritual discipline of withdrawal. So there are some spiritual disciplines where we forego things we would normally do, Uh, We go without things we would normally have in order to center ourselves and remind ourselves of some deeper spiritual truths. And so I'm I'm hoping for those who have been on this fast journey with us that it's been rewarding and enriching for you that God's met you there. Uh, But I'm telling you all, too, we are at the tail end of the fast, and I am a a little hungry. Chris, how how about yourself? How are you doing? Uh, Catherine's out of town, so I didn't plan to eat this weekend anyway. Uh, (laughs) She didn't get back till Wednesday, but... Uh, I, I am hungry, but I, I love fasting and I hate it because, and we've talked about this, I think about food all the time and I always know what my next meal is going to be. And so if you want to find something for me to give up to really remind me regularly that I should be in prayer or communing with Jesus, it is food Um, because I just always know what my next meal is. It's planned out and I'm thinking about it. And at like nine, I'm thinking about lunch. So I really have for the last couple of days, really enjoyed it, uh, but also really been stressed out because there is nothing to look forward to anymore, except the pizza today. Come on, it's coming. And what I've discovered on this fast, and I don't know, is anyone else here a fan of Survivor, TV show Survivor, any Survivor fans in here? So, you know, it's always been a fantasy. What if one day I'd be on Survivor? What would it be like for me? And what I've discovered on this fast is that if I were on the island without much food, I'd be that contestant that's crying all the time. <laughs> my emotions are just high, and I think it's connected to my belly. So now we know. Uh, maybe I'll audition, maybe I won't. But that is what we're coming out of again. We're going to break that fast um, in just a little bit when this service ends. But this morning, we're continuing the conversation uh, that we've been having together at the start of the year, so we began it last week, a conversation rooted in wisdom. Uh, Specifically, we've said that City Church OTR is beginning 2021 with four weeks dedicated to conversations around living more wisely in the new year. Uh, It's anchored in the Bible's wisdom literature, so we're looking at biblical texts and saying what wisdom from these pages can be applied freshly to our lives uh, to help us make better decisions, to have fewer regrets, to walk more closely with Jesus, um, and to experience the joy that comes from living with the grain of creation, right? Living in the way the world was designed to be lived. And so last week we talked about using our time better. We said that these levers of pace and priority, right? The speed with which we live and what we give best priority in our calendars, those are levers we can adjust to live more wisely with our time It was a really fun time uh, to chat about it. We said time is our most limited resource. This week, we're diving into another topic also related to a limited resource, at least for me. I think for you two, probably for most of us in this room, we're talking about the limited resource of money. 
how to be wise with our money, wise with our money, because the way we spend our money does say a lot about what we value. Uh, because it is so limited, right? Uh, we're not just swimming in it, at least as far as I know from folks in this room. I know I'm not. And so what I do with a limited resource, we said this about time, what I do with a resource that I can't buy more of, I can't buy more time, I can't keep more or store it, right? It's running away. What I do with a limited resource shows what I value in the same way what we do with our money matters. And so uh, we want to begin this morning by just naming a fact that we think is true, that we all have a relationship with money. Uh, we all have a relationship with money. Maybe it's an estranged relationship, but we all have a relationship with money. We've either had a lot of it or not so much. It's been something that's been easy for us to get or not so easy. It's been something that folks have shared with us or not. Um, and we just own that coming into the room. We know that as many different people are in this room, as many life stories as there are, uh, there's that many relationships with money. I was thinking about my own relationship with money. Mine began in childhood. Uh, when we were growing up, we would stop by my grandparents' house every Saturday afternoon for lunch. It was just this tradition that we had. And so I was there. I'm an only child. My cousin's there. She's an only child. And so we're there at my grandparents every Saturday. And wouldn't you know it, but every time we would leave lunch on a Saturday, my grandpa would give us like a little like allowance. So it started as this, this crisp $5 bill, right? Which when you're young, like that $5, wow. Uh, and then as we got older, older, by the time we were leaving high school, it was $20 a week. Come on, I thought I was rich, y'all. Uh, in fact, I remember one Saturday, my uncle, uh, you know, we were kind of not in line, but like we're leaving and it's like, you know, 20 to Cora, 20 to Tyler. My uncle's trying to get in the line to see if it'll keep going. It's like, nah, you know, this gravy train is just for the grandkids. But it was through that allowance, honestly, as I was thinking of my own experience of money or journey with money, uh, through that interaction with my grandpa that I learned lessons about saving. I learned lessons about spending I learned lessons about generosity. I mean, my grandpa, incredibly generous. Um, and what's true is, in the Bible's wisdom literature as well, we find many, many lessons about money. And if you're looking for a summary of all those lessons together um, that I find reading the wisdom literature that we think is really true as we were talking about these points together, uh, here it is. If we're trying to summarize the wisdom's literature teaching on money, we would say that the Bible warns us against greed and encourages us towards generosity. So all things considered, there's so many specific nuggets you can dive into, and we'll do some of those today, but if you're looking for the broad brush summary of what does the biblical wisdom literature say about money, it's this, that the Bible warns us against greed and encourages us towards generosity. But I don't just want you to take my word for it. I want to prove it to you from Scripture as we do here. So if you have a Bible with you, will you join me in the book of Proverbs? It's one of the Bible's wisdom books, Proverbs. It's there alongside Psalms, Job, Song of Solomon, and what's the one I'm... Uh, Ecclesiastes is the five wisdom books, right? So one of the wisdom books, Proverbs. Uh, and there in Proverbs, uh, in chapter 28, beginning in verse 15, we read this. Uh, it says, A greedy man stirs up strife. And we read in Proverbs 15, 27, that whoever is greedy for unjust gain, so whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household, but he who hates bribes will live. Now, I want to tell you that there are many of these kinds of Proverbs in the Bible, many that set up this kind of duality between a greedy person and a non-greedy person. And the lesson of all of them is kind of the same, that greed causes trouble, uh, that greed causes trouble. It causes us to sacrifice our character. Uh, it can lead us to exploit others. It can prompt us to cut corners. Uh, it can result in destruction 
and regret. And just to define greed, greed is different from ambition. There's nothing wrong with working hard, but greed is working hard for me. Greed is saying, what can I get for me? What's the most that I can get out of this moment? And so there's so many warnings throughout the Proverbs against this idea of just greed, greed, greed for me, 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 with no eye towards my uh, community and no eye towards my heavenly father, right? They said, this can be dangerous. This can cause trouble. But generosity, on the other hand, the scripture says, generosity can cause us to thrive. In Proverbs 28, 27, uh, we find this encouragement. It says, those who give to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to them receive many curses. So if you give to the poor, lack nothing. Those who close their eyes to them receive many curses. And I want to pause here because this verse, friends, I think has been manipulated and abused uh, by all kinds of spiritual people in the past. And so I want to say kind of what this is and what this is. Some have twisted these words to say, if you give to the poor, you will get rich. You know, it's like I put my quarter in the gumball machine and my gum comes back out, right? So if you give, you will get. If you give, you will give money in, gum out. Uh, and that's not what this verse is indicating at all. I think this isn't some biblical promise that if something goes out of your pocket, something more, something bigger will come back in. I actually think it's a better promise than that. The wisdom of Proverbs 28, I think, is intended to speak to the fear that so many of us have when it comes to generosity. And it's the fear of loss or the fear of becoming vulnerable. It's the fear that says, if I give this money away, what will happen to me? Will, will I be okay? Will I have what I need? And to those questions, Proverbs 28 says, if you give to the poor, you will lack nothing. Look, when you give to those who need it, you won't miss out on what you gave. You won't lack anything meaningful in the long run. You won't wish that you could get that money back. You won't, uh, you know, you're not going to like lack or be left without. God's going to watch you and you yourself won't be frustrated that you were generous. Instead, you're going to find that your, your heart has grown, your relationship with God has deepened, and you're glad that you gave. And I think overall, the reason that there's so many promptings towards generosity in the scripture is this. It's because the God who made the world is the most generous being in the universe. Amen. I mean, the God who made the world is the most generous being in the universe and woven into the fabric of his creation is this idea that generosity brings goodness. I mean, it's how God made the world. We said last week that wisdom is living with the grain of the creation, is recognizing how God made the world and trying to live in line with it. And God made the world to be a place where generosity brings blessing because God is a giver. He's a giver. He's very generous. He gives us our daily breath. He gave us his son so that we could have new life. He gives us joys, big and small. He gives us friends and encouragements in times and trouble. He gives us pizza in T minus 20 minutes, right? God is a giver. And I can forget that. And maybe you can too. And I can see God as a taker who's trying to take my joy and steal my joy. I can see God as a traitor who wants me to do good things and then he'll be nice to me. And no, 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 no. The testimony of scripture is clear that God is a giver that he's the most generous being in the universe and that he's made this world to be a place where generosity brings flourishing, where it connects us with him, where it connects us with our neighbor who needs help, where it brings us deep abiding joy. This is the pattern of creation. This is the way the world was made. But this way of living, this idea of mimicking God's generosity, it does go against the grain of the consumer culture that we live in. 
So even though it's the way our world was made, it's not the way so many of us live today. I mean, just bluntly, if I think of our country and maybe the advertising culture we're in and the consumer culture that we're in, we're told that you know, the way to happiness is to buy more things for me. Uh, we think, we've been told that more money, right? Not more problems, even though that's probably true, or more money means more happiness. That meeting our own needs is the path to joy. Uh, we've been taught that the more things I have, the better life will be. And this morning, just as we get started with this wisdom, I want to suggest that Proverbs teaches otherwise. So as we begin our journey through the Bible's wisdom literature regarding money, uh, please hear this. If your relationship with money, right, we all have one. If your relationship with money is one that says buying things will make me feel better, or that the chief joy in life comes from spending what I have on me, may you be reminded that generosity is wise, that it's the pattern that God gives us, that it's with the grain of creation, and that it reflects our generous God, and it's something you will not regret. So there's two really big kind of works uh, in Scripture that we see, especially in Proverbs, uh, in how we deal with money. Generosity is the big one, but the two below that are contentment and integrity. So I want to talk a little bit about contentment and integrity, and, and most of us are experts in Philippians because we did a series on it. Yeah, we are. Yeah, we so are. I know everybody always <laughs> listens to everything we say. So Philippians 4, uh, Paul, and it's a, verse 11 and 12, Paul says, For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. And then years later, he's writing his, to his disciple, Timothy, and he says that, uh, godliness with contentment is great gain. And he's specifically talking about our dealings with money. And so Paul's big thrust is it's not just about like uh, getting you know, uh, down the hatches and um, cutting your spending and having less. It's actually changing your heart to be a bit more content with what you have. And, uh, and I have a confession. I know as a pastor, you expect me to only read the Bible and listen to sermons, but I love listening to financial podcasts. I know. <laughs> it's so nerdy. I'm so sorry. I love, I mean, there's, and there's the whole movements out there, the fire movement, financially independent, retire early. I'm just love that, like the managing, the investing. If you want to talk about money, I'd love to help you. I'm free. I might even pay you to do it because I love it so much, but I just love, I love that whole world. And, and there's that big thing of like, how early can you retire? And I'm listening to these podcasts. Yeah. And, and they, have, they, don't ha they don't draw from the Bible. They're not drawing from spiritual wisdom, but they have something right of like, man, it's better to live with less. But it only works so long, mm. and parents, you guys get this, uh, without giving the why or giving the, the heart behind the, the instruction. And, and it's not going to get me invited on any of these podcasts, but contentment actually is what the world is looking for. Mm. Contentment, especially as you're dealing with money, it's not just how little can I spend how little can I live on? That works for a while. Thanks, Marie Kondo. But that doesn't work forever without actually changing the heart of what's going on. And, and I love this quote. It's from Bridgetown Church, a church that we have learned a lot from. It says, through the discipline and practice of contentment. And so it's not just like, I was born with contentment, you weren't. It's this discipline, it's this working out, it's this practice of contentment that we extinguish the fire of more in our lives. So as we practice contentment, we actually start to see that we need less and less and less because there's this gap that we all live in where here's what we need and here's what we want. And contentment teaches us to live in that gap. 
Contentment teaches us to kind of live in the in-between. And I, uh, I also have learned a ton of this from my grandpa. My, uh, my grandpa, back when I was in college, um, and this is going to go against everything I believe in terms of Tesla, but <laughs> he called me when I was like a sophomore in college, and he's like, hey, I got some oil wells if you want to invest in them. And so we bought a couple of oil wells in the middle of Illinois. They're not big. I'm not a millionaire. Check the price of oil. You'll see. <laughs> but um, we, so we buy these oil wells. And all through college and especially early adulthood, I'm driving to and from Illinois. And we're talking about what if we did this or pump jack that or clean that off. Maybe it'll make more. And at the end of every single one of those, at the end of every single one of our dreaming sessions about how we can pump more oil, he'd say, well, look, this is just for you to learn. If it makes money, if it doesn't make money, I'm not going to eat any more steaks. And that's Indiana vernacular yeah. for I have enough. And, and I, at the end of every session, and I learned how to like pull tubing out of a well. I couldn't do it, but I learned. I learned how a pump jack works. But the easiest thing that I can point to of learning in that season was, gosh, there's a point where, and you know, this guy's done well in business, and he just says, I don't need to eat any more steaks. And, uh, and so maybe it's not steaks. It's not steaks for me, although it is right now in this moment. <laughs> But maybe it's shoes. I just don't need any more shoes or clothes or home decorations. But there's always this gap where it says, okay, here's what I need. Here's what I want. And man, I actually think I could be content in the midst of that. And so contentment is a big deal. We see that all throughout scripture. And right along with it is this idea of integrity. And, uh, and I want to read, as I was reading all the Proverbs, I did not think this was going to be the one that stuck out to me. But Proverbs 20, 23, you guys probably have this. Uh, painted on your wall. It says, the Lord detests differing weights, and dishonest scales do not please him. Mic drop, right? So back then, it's like a trading culture. Everything that you do is based off of like a scale being even, an ounce of flour. I don't think they used ounces for an ounce of gold. But there were times that people would kind of manipulate scales to be a little off balance. Yep. You've done this with your electric scale. When you hit it at like minus five, and then you get on, and you weigh five pounds less. Come on. It's not just me. But they did that back then, and it was this idea of, man, I didn't reset the weight, or maybe I didn't do it, but there was this idea, and the heart of the proverb is how you think about money when no one's looking actually still matters. And what you do with your money when no one's looking, or maybe you didn't reset the scale, but how you interact with money, especially when no one's looking, still matters. And I, uh, I'm ashamed to tell this story, but I will, as a high schooler, and I told you this yeah. this week. Uh, this my is a good one. I used to go to Steak and Shake. Um, it's the only place open, like really late, 24 hours. So in high school, we'd go there Friday nights, and it was like midnight, maybe even 1 a.m. And, and I promise, I never said anything. I never struck this deal. None of us did. But one of the servers there was named Nick, and he was a guy that we went to high school with. We weren't really friends with him. But we, uh, after a while, he just started bringing us our check, and we would um, order $10, $12 worth of food. Just 12. And, uh, and we'd get the check, and it would say $2. He would just charge us for a drink. And we didn't say anything, but we knew what to do. He charged us two. We're going to not tip 20%. We're going to tip like 150 So he gets you know, a $3 tip. And we all walk out of there. We save money. Nick makes way more money. Everyone wins. A few years later, Steak and Shake filed bankruptcy. <laughs> I don't think it was because of us. But I look back on that, and it's like, you know what? I didn't do anything wrong. Like, I didn't do anything illegal. Sure, sure. If anybody did anything illegal, it was him. I just paid the check that was given to me. I could totally rationalize this and really sell you on why I was doing only what I was supposed to do. But that lacked integrity. Yeah. 
It lacked integrity. It lacked this idea of, man, I actually care more about like, my character before God than I do about saving a few dollars. Yeah. And we always think that our integrity will increase when we get more money, right? Just the same way with generosity. We're, we'll be more generous when we have more money, but who we are right now and the decisions we make behind the scenes actually is preparing us for the kind of person that we will be. And I believe, not always, but I believe it prepares and communicates to God, man, I can steward this. If you give it to me, I can steward it. And we know plenty of examples that that's not true. Lots of rich people with no morals. But at least before God, there's a moment where you, I think we have to say, and I didn't say it at Steak and Shake, man, my character's not worth $8. Saving that much money isn't worth that amount of my integrity. And, and so it's this idea of, man, who are we when no one's looking? And it might not be steak and shake for you. Um, it could be that you get the Amazon package and you break it, and then you're tempted to send it back and say it was broken upon arrival. Might be ordering a water, and then you see that they have your favorite lemonade, and you just fill it up a little bit with water or Diet Coke. Done that one too. Not recently. Uh, it could be that you um, see the cashier charges you for seven things, but you know you ordered eight. It could be uh, somebody dropping a $20 bill, and you pick it up, and you kind of yell, and you drop it, but ah, oh, they can't hear. It's the moments where it's like, that's not outright wrong. That's not outright illegal. But man, it's not worth it either. And who we are and how we deal with money when no one's looking really, really matters to your character, and it really, really matters to God. Maybe this is the hunger speaking, Chris, and my emotions, but I sincerely believe and just want to say it, this is a lesson I've learned from you. And I know this has been a long, I mean, a, yeah, just a sincere journey in your faith journey. And it's so true. I mean, guys, again, unplanned, you can read my script, but I, uh, I love working with you, Chris, and leading a church with you, knowing that that's one of your North Star compasses, because that integrity piece specifically around finances is it is just a clearing call in your life. So anyway, I need to eat Not pizza nice. soon. Uh, but before we get there, on the related vein with integrity, um, another big theme in Proverbs is a lot of conversation around debt. Uh, and just want to summarize some of this real quickly and help us get a window into what's saying. I mean, a big idea from the Proverbs around debt could be this. It says that those who might be thinking about entering debt, uh, Proverbs would say, hey, you live to regret debt. Uh, you live to regret debt, uh, signing a contract with multiple payments, right, for some big thing you want in the moment. It feels good, but then the payments continue, and then there's something else you want, and now you're trapped in it, and now maybe an interest rate changes or something. So the idea is this. You live to regret debt. It's, uh, it's constraining. It can just weigh down on you with a massive, massive yoke. And so, and you know what I'm talking about, friends. If you've just, I don't know, worked your way or are working your way through student loans or a big car note or something like this, uh, it's not fun. It's not exciting. And so I say part of the debt conversation of Proverbs is a warning. Hey, if you're thinking about something you can't quite afford, Proverbs would say you live to regret debt. On the flip side of that coin, when Proverbs discusses debt, uh, there's a lot of condemnation towards unjust debtors. So Chris talking about integrity and just want to touch on this briefly. But Emery uh, in his opening was talking about all the people that God welcomes, right? And he says, if you're poor, if you're poor uh, financially, right, even being a call to the Bible, come to me, the God who has all, and I want to provide for you. And so some of the biblical wisdom around debt is not just a warning against people who might be entering debt saying, hey, be careful about entering that debt. There are many warnings to debtors saying, be careful about being unfair or perpetuating systems where you build an empire off the back of the little guy. 
And that's one of the things I love about the biblical wisdom literature. There's warnings for both sides. There's warnings for people to, hey, don't take on more than you can afford. And there's warnings for people that says God is watching and one day will set everything right for those who leverage their power in a system in order for their own gain. Um, and so whatever side of the coin you're on here, if you're on the man, maybe God's telling me to slow down on the debt, or if it's like, man, maybe because of the role I occupy, I need to live with more justice and more thought towards those that don't have the power that I have. I just love that both sides are covered in the biblical wisdom literature. Um, and it's a fascinating extension of what you were talking about, that yeah. piece of integrity. I mean, it just flows, flows, flows through the Proverbs. So you live to regret debt, and if you're a debtor or a, someone who holds debt, you will live to regret abusing others uh, because God, God pursues justice. Um, another thing that we've seen through the biblical lit wisdom literature is this. It's good to have a plan for your money, a plan for your money. Uh, without a plan, your money gets kind of ruled by your circumstances or your whims or the latest Instagram ad. But if there's a plan for this is what I want to save and this is what I want to give and this is what I want to live on, you're just more likely to inhabit kind of the, the wisdom that we're talking about this morning as it relates to money. And what's true is if a plan is too draconian, if it's too hardcore, uh, if it's just way, way, way too impossible to live out, you won't follow it. So you want to make a wise plan. You want to make a plan that reflects your situation and the season of life that you're in. And again, if this is something you want help with, I volunteer Christopher. Uh, he really, really is so, so good at it. I see people in this room for whom he has made a budget, uh, which is another word for a plan for money. It's an excellent, excellent trade of his. If this is a place where you need help, uh, you cannot do better for free. There's probably people you could pay that are better, but for free, it's a Thank really, you. really great deal. Um, and he's... He's phenomenal at it. And then finally, even for me, on a personal note, I want to speak a little bit to the single lady, well, the, all the single ladies, all the single ladies hey. and all the single men, uh, all the single people. I'm telling you, when I'm hungry, I guess Beyonce just blows out. I want to speak to the single people in the room. Um, and I just want to name another reality when it comes to talking about money in church. We know this, uh, that so many of the Christian financial resources that are out there that have been published are targeted towards married couples. Um, maybe this is something you've noticed if you've been around church. If you haven't, now you know ahead of time, but so many of the financial resources in church are targeted towards married couples. That's where, and again, I respect this man, but that's where like Dave Ramsey's biggest success stories come from, right? These married couples that pay down hundreds of thousands of debt. And we love Dave and we love Crown Financial and we're grateful for all those uh, ministries and organizations and people that have helped so many get out of debt. But I do want to say that uh, for single folks, just so that you know we see you, uh, we know that it's not always as easy as a Ramsey might suggest and that there's some challenges towards single finances that just are what they are, right? Uh, so first, single folks, it can be tough to live on just one income. Uh, it can be tough. Rent is what it is. Food is what it is. Uh, generally speaking, just mathematically wise, the costs for a couple aren't quite double the cost mm -hmm. of a single person, right? So we know that we're we're, we're decent at math. Yeah. Uh, and so just want to name that, that we see that here. We know that's a real story, single folks in this church. And so we get it. And again, when Chris meets with you, he'll have all the <laughs> compassion in the world uh, because of that. So we get that. But another thing I've learned from single finances, and this is just me speaking from my experience and thinking how the Proverbs wisdom applies uh, to my life. Something I learned in Kansas City was this. I had a great job, 
at a big old church there, so that they call them like mega churches, right? So I had like awesome health insurance. Uh, that's where I got all the glasses that you see. Uh, so loved Christ community, and they've been even generous to us, and they're really sweet. But when I was there and had this like mega church salary and my mega church insurance, it became so easy for me as a single person to spend so much of my extra money on me and my lifestyle. Um, it was just very easy to spend more of what I made on myself. So I had all new furniture in my apartment. I wish you could have visited. I had all new clothes, probably most of these clothes, day from Kansas City, right? I had, um, yeah, just kind of a young, more glamorous, free, you know, Fridays I'd go walk. It's called the Plaza in Kansas City, and you had sort of the loop, and you'd see all your different stores, and it was lovely. Um, but looking back at it now, I just want to say again from my story, what matters most or what I'm most thankful that I did in Kansas City wasn't building a wardrobe and wasn't buying all fancy furniture, but it was creating spaces for others, so hosting events in my home. It was being generous to community organizations and to my church. Um, and why do I want to share this? Just because I know that, again, in our country, there is so much targeted advertising to single people built around improving your lifestyle. And gosh, I love lifestyle. I would love to improve mine, and yet, and yet, whenever those ads come through and whenever I'm tempted to think that a little bit more for me, a little, you know, treat yourself moment is gonna make my heart full, I remember the wisdom of scripture. I think about my own experience in Kansas City and I try to think more like, you know, in the long run, some expenses I won't regret are using the resources I have for people that need them. Expenses I won't regret are creating spaces for other folks to gather and hosting something fun, right? Expenses I won't regret are contributing to organizations that do great work in the community. We think this church is one of those, we think there's others, but that's something I won't regret in the long run. The sweater will go out of fashion, right? The pants will shrink. Why do they shrink? I uh, mean, my waist grows. No, ah, thank I knew you got that. You know, that stuff changes. Those investments in things that last, I won't regret. And I know that warning probably goes towards couples too. It's just something I felt as a young, glamorous, single person in a city. Man, everything is designed to tell me this is the path towards happiness. And I can tell you with just a, you know, a little experience in the rearview mirror that it's like, man, it was honestly those other things that brought so much more joy. Um, I'll go off the cuff as well. Uh, if, if that's true of me, the way that uh, Tyler does use his resources to host things, guys, when this virus is over, you will attend a Tyler Trunesky party yeah. and you will be blown away. <laughs> the generosity and the thoughtfulness that does go into those is amazing. And so we have so many reasons to pray and ask for this thing to leave. <laughs> let, a, let a TC party be one more yeah. of those. It will blow you away. Everything's gold. I just don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is contrary to maybe. Spray paint. Spray paint. Spray it's paint all gold. gilded. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so I want to I end talking about, I mean, the big one is generosity. And you've yeah. touched on it. Generosity is the best weapon we have to breaking the consumer mindset. It's the best weapon that we have to, I think, forming ourselves into the kind of person Jesus would be with money. And uh, it's, you can't be greedy and be generous. It's, it's very tough to mismanage money while you're being incredibly generous. And, uh, and the big thought that people have, especially when you don't have a lot, is it doesn't, you know, I have so little to give that it probably doesn't really matter. I just won't yet. And, and I promise, Jesus is so much more concerned with how much it costs than how much you give. I mean, you see, and you see that in a parable, or actually in a real story. Run that one by again, Chris. That's Jesus is so much more concerned with how much it costs than how much you give. 
I mean, he very much cares about the heart posture of when we give two things or when we're generous with our money. And my favorite passage in the whole Bible on generosity is uh, 2 Corinthians 8. It's 1 through 4. I'm going to read verses, just verse 2. But there, uh, it's Paul writing to Corinthians, and there's this other church in Macedonia. And from what we know of like history, uh, there's, light, there's something going on there. I think it's a famine. So modern day, let's call it a recession. But there's a famine going on in Macedonia. He's raising money for the Jerusalem church, and he's asking all of his churches to give, except for Macedonia, because he figures, therefore, I'm not going to ask them. And then they catch wind of this, and they just say, no, 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 we, they beg him. It says uh, they beg to give to this thing, even though they have very little. And he said of the Macedonians, in the midst of their very severe trial, their overflowing joy, uh, in the midst of their very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. And there are so many, you know, we've already talked about miracles that attest to the reality of Jesus, but if you can have generosity, poverty, and joy in the same room, that proves that there's something supernatural going on. Because we can be generous and not have much, but without the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, that doesn't lead to joy. That leads to resentment. And oftentimes it's true that when we give, we become more joyful, but usually we rely on like rich people to do that, not people that are in poverty. And so generosity is one of those big things that can absolutely break the ties of consumerism. And a few years ago, so I used to live in Vegas. This is one of the craziest things that's ever happened to me. But I used to live in Vegas. We uh, did this big week in the middle of March. It was always over spring break called Love Vegas Week. And we would just go all out. Um, reaching out to the community. We were praying there and serving there and doing this. And one of our big ones was at UNLV. So it was the big college minister, or the college university there uh, in Vegas. And so we're at UNLV one day and we're just going after it. We're praying and leading worship and all kinds of things. I wasn't. Uh, I was praying. Um, they haven't heard you sing. They don't get that. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> and so we're going after it. And my friend, actually our worship leader, uh, one of my best friends, Amari, um, he's a black guy with dreads, which is important for the end of the story. But he comes up to me and he's like, bro, you've got to go. Or no, he said, bro, I'm going to go buy people coffee at Starbucks. He's like, I just had this idea. I think it could be cool. And I was like, oh, that sounds great. And so he goes, and like an hour later, he comes back and he's like, Chris, you've got to go do it. He's like, it's the most amazing thing. I had so much fun. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. So I go to Starbucks, and remember, I'm like 25 years old at the time. So I look like a college student, and I still do. But <laughs> at that time, I totally fit in at UNLV. And I, I go to Starbucks, and the first person, I'm ready to go, the first person that walks up is a girl, because hashtag basic. And, and so she starts to get in line for her Starbucks, and I was like, hey, can I buy you coffee? And she looked at me, and she said, uh, no. <laughs> And then I realized what happened. She was confused. So I started to spiral. I mean, seriously started to spiral. I'm like, no, 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 it's Love Vegas. I'm married. It's not that. I just want to beg Jesus. And all of a sudden, she's like, uh, that's okay. I'm good. And she walked away. So she didn't need coffee anymore. So I <laughs> solved that problem for her. And, uh, and so I regrouped. And I'm like, Lord, I should have thought about this more. I'm going to buy the next guy coffee. And uh, so again, it's, uh, it's a university, so girl. Girl, two girls, girl, and I'm like, what the heck? I've been here like five minutes. And, and then I see a 40-year-old lady walking up, uh, and I felt like the Lord said, that's her. And, you know, I'm 
40 doesn't sound that old to me anymore. But back then, I'm like, ah, Lord, I still don't know if I want to do another girl. And he's like, I really felt like the Lord said, buy her coffee. And so she walks up, and I'm like, excuse me, ma'am. I said, ma'am. Uh, I said, I would love to buy you coffee. Uh, it's Love Vegas week. We think Jesus loves this campus. We know Jesus loves you. And so we're just sharing that. And she looked at me, and she was like, well, I'm the dean of students, so maybe somebody else needs it more than me. And uh, I was like, oh, probably they do. But I really felt like I was supposed to buy your coffee. And she's like, okay. So we get in line, and uh, I know you guys, you barista coffee people out there, call it something else. We call it small in like regular world. She gets a small coffee, and a small black coffee, $2.85. And uh, as she's checking out, she's like, well, can I buy somebody else coffee? And I was like, yeah, that'd be great. So she turns around. This is a, like a 40-year-old white lady. Turns around. There's three Asian students behind her. And she's, they're loaded down with like muffins and lattes and chais and all kinds of stuff. She was like, hey, can I buy your coffee? And they're like, why? And she's like, I don't know. This guy just bought mine, so I'm going to buy yours. So they're like, sure. And she spends like $17 on them. And I was like, Lord, you are so good to me. I dodged a bullet there. Thank you for giving me this lady. And so she spends $17 on these students. So these three Asian students turn around, and there's a black student behind them. And they're like, hey, can we buy your coffee? And of course, he's like, why? And they're like, I don't know, this lady, that guy. And by this time, there starts to be a little bit of buzz in Starbucks. And the barista, so a black girl behind the counter, just starts to scream. And it was one of the funniest moments of my life. She goes, what is going on here? She said, earlier, a guy with dreads comes in, starts buying coffee. Now you're buying coffee. Somebody tell me what's happening. And I wish this part wasn't true. But in a moment of like lots of emotion and not a whole lot of thought, I stood up and yelled, it's a love revolution. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why. So Starbucks is ablaze. The, the guy that gets his coffee turns around. There's a white student behind him, and he buys his coffee. And, uh, and that's, when, that's when everything started to like go fiery. And, uh, and I pull the dean of students aside, and I start talking to her. And, uh, and these two uh, students from our team, they came from uh, Virginia, they came up, and they started talking to me. And they're like, hey, did you hear what's happening? Did you hear what happened? And I was like, yeah, I guess it's a love revolution. <laughs> they're like, no, 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 not that. They said, um, we, uh, the two girls at the end of the line were so confused with why all the coffee was getting bought that they, uh, they started asking us questions. And we started talking to them. We shared about Love Vegas Week. Then we shared about Jesus. Then we shared about the gospel. And they said that they've never seen anything like this, and they wanted to follow Jesus too. The eternity of two people, by like the simplest act of generosity, absolutely changed everything for them. And... Uh, and I'm going to have to stand up for this. I, I, not only for them, but for me, it's one of the biggest lessons I've ever learned. Because I watched as generosity flowed from white guy to white lady to Asian students to black guy to black girl to white person. And I watched bridges in the spirit being built that were not there before. I watched as something started to form around them that wasn't there before. And, and then I'm watching the news this week, and I'm watching the news all last year, and I'm thinking we could use a little bit of Love Vegas in our life. We could use a little bit more generosity, because you can fake worship, 
You've probably done it. You can fake pray, but you cannot fake generosity. And you cannot fake generosity that moves a world. And when generosity comes in, it starts to bring something that was not there before. It starts to bring love where it was not there. And it starts to bring Jesus when he was not there. And it starts to build bridges where there was none. And no matter what's going on racially, economically, geographically, generationally, generation or generosity actually can start to bridge those things. Generosity actually starts to move in our world. And so I want to go into worship a bit, and I want to proclaim this over our city, over our country. But here's the other thing, is that there's people all over the world that don't know and don't really care what happened at our Capitol this week. Because they're praying for food, they're asking for clean water, they're looking for clothes, they're hoping for a job, they're wanting to get out of the sex industry, they're wanting to get real uh, education. And guys, I believe that generosity actually can change the world. That when we start to move in generosity, that it doesn't just change the world though, but it starts to change our hearts. Generosity done in love can move mountains, can build bridges. And I'm looking back at that campus and I'm thinking about that day and I'm thinking, man, it was just so simple. It was just so simple. But it changed everything. It changed everything for two girls. And so uh, we want to do more than just rant on Instagram. We want to do more than just uh, advocate. We actually want to move. We actually want to be action-oriented in what we do. And, and so I want to start to proclaim this over our city. So let's stand up. Let's go into worship. And I want this to be more about just like parting with your money. But I want you to think, how can I leverage the things that I have? How can I leverage the resources that I have to change the city, to change the world? Because we actually believe generosity can change the world around us.